Garçon, coffee. So the other show I'm watching is also <laughs> a historical drama based on books <laughs> by Bernard Cornwell because I am determined to become a parody of myself. Um, it's called <laughs> The Last Kingdom. It's based on, I think the novels are called The Saxon Tales. They're still ongoing. There's like 20 of them. Bernard Cornwell is like the historical fiction Stephen King. He just like he just shits out books like each year. And they all, they're, they're, they're pretty good. Um, and he does know how to end stories. Not that I'm casting aspersions on Mr. King and his ability to end. Oh, um, <laughs> that's another podcast. Yep. Bernard Cornwell. He starts strong. He ends strong. So uh, yeah, he's a very workmanlike writer and the show last kingdom and sharp are the only two adaptations of his stuff. And workmanlike is how I would describe both of them. Last kingdom is a much better show in terms of quality than sharp. Obviously it's made these days it's post game of Thrones. So it's, a network saying we're going to pour all the money we can into making our Game of Thrones. It's not a fantasy, though. It's about the Vikings invading England in the ninth century. So it's how England kind of became England in the face of the Danes. It's really good. It is definitely kind of Game of Thrones light. It's definitely clear what it's going for. It started on the BBC and has now moved to Netflix. It's gotten a lot bloodier and gorier and a little better in terms of production quality since it moved to Netflix. It's based, it's about a character named Uhtred. Uhtred, yeah. He's a Saxon whose father gets killed and then he gets raised. This is in the first episode, so I'm not like, this is, this is like the setup, basically. And he gets raised by Danes. And then the whole, and then he finds his way back to the English. And he's, like Sharp, he's a fictional character who's constantly interacting with real people. So he's with Alfred the Great, the Vikings have all kinds of colorful names like Eric Bloodaxe and <laughs> Olaf Shatter Skulls. Like these are, it, it's great. And it's all just about like, is, is he going to be a pagan or a Christian? Is he going to be an English or a Dane? Where does he belong? It's, it's a very kind of old, very standard, standard story. It's really good, really entertaining. Uh, one of the problems I have with it is a problem I also kind of had with sort of, you know, the last half of Game of Thrones where this is a, this is such, this is like a, my brothers would call this like, this is such a Daniel nitpick, but everyone's just way too good looking. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> one of the things I appreciate about the first four seasons of Game of Thrones is they just, everyone looks interesting. There's some uggos, there's some weird looking people. It's like, it's just people. And then it just starts to get everyone's attractive. Everyone, because all of the, all of America is watching and you can't put conventionally unattractive people on television. One of the big examples I can think of is season five of Game of Thrones. There's the witch who predicts Cersei's future. And in the book, she's basically like a toad, essentially just like a Del Toro character. And in the show, she's just like a foxy model who's just like, hey, like I've got some predictions for you. And she's got, you know, perfect skin and her teeth are brushed. And it's just like, eh, kind of takes me out of it. So The Last Kingdom definitely has that. That's sort of like Hollywood. Everyone's attractive. Everyone's good looking. The only people that get dirty are background characters. All the main characters always have perfect hair. And that's something that probably won't distract other people. But if you're... <laughs> yes, I would say that's a safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a weirdo like me, you're like, ah, you guys should... But it's really... It's a fun show. It's really good. It's definitely the best of like all the numerous like kind of Game of Thrones ripoffs that came out in the last 10 years. Like... 
slap together historical sword and shield stuff, lame fan like all that kind of garbage that networks were just like, what do, what do we have that's like, yep. this one is still going on. It kind of has its own audience. I think there are a lot of people who prefer a more historical grounded show than a fantasy show, but it's on Netflix. All four seasons are on Netflix. It's an ongoing story. So the ending is known in the sense that the Vikings don't win. <laughs> but other than that, because it's a fictional character, you don't know what's going to happen. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. It has that thing that sort of a lot of shows that tried to ape off Game of Thrones had, which is they're kind of meant to be a Game of Thrones show, but they're a conventional show. So it's like there's lots of wheel spinning. There's lots of like, it's not quite as um, tightly plotted as Game of Thrones was. <laughs> um, so, but it's really enjoyable. I really like it. All the actors, even though they're too good looking, they are all very good at their at their parts. Lots of nice little character actors show up and get bigger roles than they would in like a movie or something like that. Rucker Howard's in the first episode. Oh, he of course you know walks away with the whole episode. It's great. It's a really good show. I definitely recommend it for anyone who kind of likes that kind of stuff. I know there's another show called Vikings that's about basically. I think it's kind of about the father of all the Vikings who invade England in the Last Kingdom. I've tried watching Vikings. I think it's awful, but I know a lot of people really, really love that show. But if you're into that kind of stuff, um, you'll probably enjoy The Last Kingdom. And it's a lot better production quality than than Sharp. But it also has that kind of soap opera tendency that I think Bernard Cornwell just kind of has. I think he feels like everything has to have a love story. Everything has to have a twist. Everything has to have kind of like a, a melodramatic double cross. So it does have weaknesses. But it's really entertaining, and it's it's pretty good as far as historical shows go. Like nothing's better than like Rome. Obviously, I think Rome's like the gold standard. Yeah, but the last one was pretty good. So I definitely would recommend it if you're into that kind of stuff. I have had this one recommended to me before, actually. So I'm happy to hear two people like it because even the the poster or I, I see it on Netflix. So whatever the screen grab, whatever it is, just screams like we are trying to make game of thrones. So I think that kind of, it's like an incredibly attractive. Yeah. yeah. I will say though, rarely for a show like this, where the main, like they cast like the best looking young actor. They can, the guy, he's the best character in the show. The main character is the most interesting character. You are back from the dead and unchanged. All you have to do was get down from your horse and ask, have you seen my wife? It would have been the better choice, yes. Then young Otto wouldn't have shit himself. <laughs> Which is super rare for a show. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, the actor's fantastic and the character's really good. And it's one of the producers is named Nigel Marchant. Which always excites me every time I see that. I'm like, oh, he must be related somewhere down the line. <laughs> <laughs> and is the author involved creatively? No, he does not ever want to be. But he's he okay. has no like the sharp movies deviate like way off from his books. This show has gone in a different direction. He doesn't care. He really just doesn't care. He used to. He came from TV, so he okay. like understands how hard it is. So he never wants to involve himself. He just likes promoting it. He loves talking about it. Um, he's got like nothing but like, he's like, it's a different thing. Like cool it. Like also Bernard Cornwell fans aren't necessarily like George R. R. Martin fans. Like people aren't going to be like, there's not that level yeah. of, of fandom that you find in something like game of Thrones. 
Um, he does appear every once in a while in like, you know, full makeup. as oh. like a background Viking or like a background priest. Um, but no, he's not part of the creative direction of the show. He thought up the story. He thought up the characters and he just sees it as it's your thing. I'll, I'll await the check. <laughs> maybe he'll, maybe they will improve upon the ending then. Like you said, obviously the history yeah. can't change, but, but yeah. And I guess the last book is coming out this year, I guess. And that's going to be the, the end. And this character lives for like an improbable, like he, he wanted it to cover the whole Viking era of England, yeah. which is like basically a hundred years. So it's essentially impossible that this guy's still alive, but like, it's like that one thing you just have to buy into. So I guess the show will be ending soon, but yeah, I don't, Bernard Cornwell is not precious about his, he doesn't see himself as like a high, he's got the kind of approach that Stephen King does. He's just writing entertainment for people and he hopes that they enjoy the story. He doesn't, he doesn't think he's crafted like the most important saga of our age (laughs) that must be dealt with very specifically. Oh, good. Well, I, something a little bit newer, <laughs> all, all three of the shows that I'm talking about have had a revival of sorts. So mm. that's interesting, but I am, I have been rewatching Arrested Development and I bring it up for a couple of reasons, I guess. Uh, there's not much to say about the, the original run of the series because it's sublime. <laughs> I, if anything, it, it gets better. I, I think it's the fourth time I've rewatched or the fourth time I've watched the three seasons and it's just excellent television that it, it's, it's crazy that they were on a network station and I totally see why it didn't have the viewership to, to last because it, it takes a special kind of viewer to have to, or to want to watch a comedy so intently, but there are just so many Easter eggs and episode long or season long jokes that are seamlessly included that are almost like in the background that you need to be focusing on so much to to get. So I love little intricate details like that. And just it's a rare show where so many characters are potentially my favorite character there, you know, whether it's Lucille or Job or Tobias or George Michael, and one time you'll watch it and you'll think, you know, I, I didn't really think maybe it was that great of a character. And then you watch it the second time and it's like, nope, she is a great character. And you, you just pick up on so many things every time you watch it. There's not much else to say other than how tremendous it is during its first three seasons, uh, its original run. This kind of actually was one of the first things to get brought back, uh, mm-hmm. at least, at least in, in our world, in my world that I can think of. The original run of Arrested Development on Fox was from 2003 to 2006. And at some point in 2011, I believe they announced that Netflix was producing a new season of Arrested Development. And I actually, we were at UMass together when that happened. And we were both huge fans of the series. And that one made sense to me to bring back because it didn't end on its own terms. It was canceled prematurely. It did have a very good ending that fit well as a series finale. So I guess that's like the one reason why I didn't think it it should mm-hmm. be brought back. But otherwise, it was like, they're all still in their prime. At that point, it was only five years later, six years later, whatever. So it's not like it's been this crazy amount of time. It was the original series creator. Uh, and now you were doing it on this new, <laughs> the idea of Netflix having a 
its own series seems, uh, uh, you know, funny to think about it being novel at the time, but at the time it was novel. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, but they obviously had whatever their metrics were, they saw how popular that show had become. And it was one that aged really well. And a lot of people came to after it was canceled. So it just seemed like a great recipe to, to bring it all back. When you watch the first episode, all the characters pretty much look the same except for Lindsay. She's the only one who looks really different, I think. And, and obviously the two kid characters are, are a lot older. It overall had the same tone. Again, same voices, same writers. But the first season Netflix did, so season four, whatever you want to call it, just was not great. To, and that's putting it mildly. It had many problems. I don't know how many people would really pick up on this just watching it. But the biggest issue I think that most had, or at least the, the big fans of Arrested Development had, is that the characters didn't interact with each other that often. So mm-hmm. the first three seasons are, you know, it's it's a show about a dysfunctional family led by Jason Bateman, primarily Michael Bluth. But it is such a, it's a true ensemble where all of those characters are like heavily involved in almost every episode. There's about like eight mm-hmm. main characters and they are, they play off of each other. Well, they all have different strengths, but they're excellent, excellent performers and characters. You know, mother Lucille, there's a psychological concept known as denial that I believe you're evincing. It's when a thought is so hateful that the mind literally rejects it. You are a worse psychiatrist than you are a son-in-law, and you will never get work as an actor because you have no talent. Well, if she's not going to say anything, I certainly can't help her. So then when you cut to this new season, there are longer episodes that are one-character-focused. So that just immediately felt wrong. It's like that you're changing the template. And what you later learn, what the issue was, is that so many of the actors had different jobs that they were either movie stars or had other shows or doing so much voice acting. So it was just difficult to get all of them together, which I didn't, I didn't know at the time that they filmed it, that that was a problem. So I think it was 15 episodes. They're all a little bit longer. They felt too long. Many of the jokes didn't land. It never felt like the show that everybody loved. So then that season ended and it was kind of sort of in a hiatus point again of like, are they going to do that again? Like if it is, if it's going to be the same version of that, I don't know if we want this again, because it was an ab, not, it was a failure. I don't know if I'd say it was an abject failure, but it was a failure. So five years go by and they announce a new season, but they made it a point that they would all be together. They found time for everybody's schedule to make it work in the interim. The creator re-edited season four so that it was a traditional like 22 episode season episodes were more like 22 minutes long and instead of each episode being character focused it tried to be like the old show and it like cut scenes together a couple years ago when season five came out i re-watched season four, but in this new format. And it's interesting because now if you go into Netflix, season four is this remix. You have to like dig deep to find how it originally was released in 2013, the character centric. If you go into like trailers and more, there's a section like that. You'll see like season four original cut or something like that. So it, it was so bad that 
it was like, we need to, we need to just omit that from everybody's memory. I don't know how many people like casual fans of Arrested Development know that this even happened because it wasn't like highly advertised. Like we knew about it because we like read about this stuff and we're really into it. Rewatching season four this way, it's a lot better. It, it, it still has a lot of the major issues that it had. It, like a lot of the jokes don't land. Now they seem even less timely, some of them, because so much in the world has changed since 2013. So when you go back and watch it, it's like, uh, it's kind of funny that they have a storyline about building a wall along the California-Mexico uh, border because uh, it was like two years before Trump ran for president. So it was ahead of its time in that sense. But it at least has that sort of feel like the original show because the characters are together more. A lot of it is it's like duct tape because there's this one scene where they had all of them together in the penthouse and they like reuse that scene so many different times from like different angles and just like snippets of it to try to like fill in the gaps. Yeah. And then they also filmed new scenes where they use like rear screen projection. So it, so it doesn't look great. It, it like technically is not as well done. I think I, I can't confirm this, but I think Ron Howard had to do extensive additional narration to tie everything together with the re-edit because now he sounds like a little bit older than even the 2013 version. He also deserves an Emmy because he does so much. Like these episodes just feel like it's like the Ron Howard narration show, but there are like good jokes thrown in there. So it's like, it's like, I feel like I'm like defending it when I'm not even sure Uh, it's ultimately better, Mm -hmm. but it's still a, it's still a lesser product. But if you watch it in order, so like, like I said, like I watched the original run of the show and then I watch this it feels at least like a more natural fourth season flows a little bit better. So I recommend it, especially Mm -hmm. if you never watched any of the new Arrested Development. If you watched season four and you didn't like it in 2013, I don't know if I would say like, oh, you definitely need to go see this. It's like, it's it's a vast improvement, but they did enough to make it like watchable, I would say. Mm. And, you know, the, the strengths are... Tobias and Job for me in the, in the new season and a little bit with maybe and George Michael. So mm-hmm. those four shine and they kind of carry it along with Ron Howard's narration, but the rest of it, it, it's just, it's just dull, frankly. And I know that's how season five is too. I've only watched the final season once they split it into mm-hmm. two half seasons uh, that came out in 2018 and 2019. Yeah. So I watched those both originally when they aired what is now the the series finale is like it's fine. I, I I'm at least happy with it compared to how season four left things. But in retrospect, I wish they never made any of these new episodes. But again, it was like one of the few times I've been like, yeah, that makes sense. Like it makes sense to have all of these people back. There were more stories to tell, but they did not execute either season four or season five well. Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting because I I don't particularly like season three of Arrested Development. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the first season. I like the second season. And I just kind of, I don't know, I just, I feel like season three is where the show kind of started reading its own press and kind of was like, aren't we the cleverest show on, on television? But season four, I was really excited for. I did not like it. I have not seen the recut versions. 
I honestly don't know if I finished season four now that I'm yep. thinking about it. Um, and I had no interest in seeing season five. Yeah, Arrested Development is one of these shows that like I watch it a lot, but only up to a certain point, basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a whole section that I just have never gotten into. And yeah, every time I hear people talk about it, they say it like you. It's like, oh, well, the recut version's definitely better, but it's also not great. And season five's not that great either. Yeah. So it's just, I just don't feel any mo. It's like a, I don't feel connected to it in the same way. I'm not like, I've got to watch Arrested Development. I just think of it, Arrested Development was on and it's over now. And I've seen all the Arrested Development that I want to see. Because yeah, like you said, that first season especially is just like, my brother has a, a thing he says, because we watched it on DVD first. Mm-hmm. My friend lent me the DVD. My brother says, you know, season one, disc one of Arrested Development might be the funniest DVD disc in, in the history of anything. Like, it's like that that run of episode, that those first couple episodes, it's like, this is such a good show. Yeah. Um, and of course, no one watched it. <laughs> yep. Um, of course, it never found its its audience at the time. I remember my mom yeah. watched and like you know, it was just it never caught on. Now, of course, it caught on big time, and that's why I think they have they feel like they have to make more Arrested Development because there's an audience for it now. But the audience is really just for that the original show. run. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Like 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 you said, like the way you made it sound, like oh well, it sounds like season four recut is worth it, but not not that worth it. That's not true. yeah, not that worth it because I think they they clearly knew what the criticisms were and they addressed it and they made it better and they made it palatable, but it's, it's still nothing like the original run. And so to me, it, it, why I was open to it again, this wasn't, you know, Harrison Ford putting the hat and whip back on. It's like, it was six, (laughs) it was six years. They were all still in their comedic prime. And I had the sense that like, well, they must've had a four season like mapped out and ready to go. And they, they could basically just execute that because not that much time has passed. But then when you want, it's like, no, they're, they're just doing this because it seemed like a good idea. There wasn't a story that Mitch Horowitz was like dying to tell. Yeah. You it, know it, that. Yeah. It, it, it almost feels like you could show all the anticipation for season four and all the hype and all the, you know, it's going to be great. We're going to finish the show. And then almost have Ron Howard say, like, this was a lie. <laughs> it was yeah. not. Like, it almost feels like it's just, it was kind of just kind of a thud, basically. Yeah. Um, that, and that, that's what season three, in, in hindsight, I like, well, uh, season two is actually my favorite. So I, I'm that's funny. I love season two. Season three, I liked more than I remembered it. And uh, uh, much of it was because of the, all of the meta jokes that they started making at the end about the show getting canceled. So then <laughs> when I rewatched. Fire's organization. It's not HBO. It's TV or something like that. Uh, yeah, HBO won't buy us or something like that. Yeah, and then there's something show like it's Showtime. They they made a Showtime joke about it too, and yeah, Justine um, Bateman shows up as the Lost Blues. Yeah, yeah. Ron Howard at one point says, "Please watch our show," or "Please tell people to watch our show." When season four came out, I hadn't. It's not like I did like a rewatch of the first three, so it wasn't mm-hmm. like as fresh. And I don't think I've watched it like since the Netflix shows have aired other than just now. So watching a season three, it's like now it feels more definitive. It feels like that 
is the ending. And then again, to see that they didn't really have great ideas for the fourth and fifth season. They just wanted to make more because they knew people would watch it. Now it just feels cheap. Whereas I've almost had the inverse with some other revivals of like movie series where it's like, they're making it just to make a buck, but then they make like decent soft reboots. But yeah, this is just not that. So it's very disappointing. It's so when I when I watched the remix a couple of years ago, it felt like it was much better and that it was really good. After watching it immediately after the original run, it's like, it's nope, it's not. Tonally feels a little bit more like the show. But the duct tape stuff is distracting with the, like I said, yeah, it's very, there, there's a scene with Buster and another with um, Lucille 2 in particular that stand out where it's, they clearly, there's a character in rear screen. I don't know exactly. Yeah. And then they're, they're, they're just using body doubles with rear screen projection. And it, it's so standout. And there is a joke, Ron Howard says something about green screen productions or but it but it ties into whatever's that's going not on. enough to, that's not enough yeah it's like you're you're having your cake and eating it too but in it but it's not that funny it, it's just too bad it's too yeah. bad but i i would definitely recommend watching if you have not seen the first three seasons the original run of arrested development it is my favorite sitcom if you stopped it right there i think it's better than the office i think it's better than parks and rec i think it's better than 30 rock it, it's just just hilarious I know it saw a spike in viewership when Jessica Walter passed away yeah. last month. And it is a show that it's hard to pick a favorite character, but Seal is absolutely my favorite. I think character. after this run, she's become my favorite character too. Everything she says is funny and she delivers every single thing perfectly. Yeah. Like this is a person that literally never put a wrong foot forward in that performance. I say Lucille Bluth lines, I think almost every day of my life. <laughs> I, I will I will shout loose for no reason. Uh, with no context. I just did it now. My wife is enjoyed <laughs> uh, I'd rather be I'd rather be dead in California than alive in Arizona is something that I say far too regularly for someone who lives on the East Coast. When she spells when she spells, uh, I hit the J-U-I-C from him. And Buster's like, I know what that spells. And she's like, oh, you're so smart. Now see if you can reach. Because Buster's your brother. And I'm not going to leave him home alone with all this J-U-I-C-E around. I can spell, Mom. You spell juice. Oh, you're so brilliant. Let's see you find it. Like everything she said. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I don't know if you've ever seen. It's a couple of movies from the 70s and 80s. Star Wars. Where there's... They were re- people really responded to them, and the third one <laughs> kind of disappointing. Mm. Everyone was like, eh. and then they made more, and now everyone's like, oh, I just wish they had left at the third one. It, exactly. It's like in hindsight, it's like, no, we kind of got the, a perfect little set of stuff, and we should have been content. We got there's there's no way we can recapture the feeling of that first run of Arrested Development, and yep. it's, it's foolish to kind of keep trying to. Because the actors are getting older. One of my biggest complaints with season four was Michael didn't feel like Michael. And I think Michael's oh. character is like a huge part of why that show works. And that was not the case in season four. So I kind of just was like. Yeah. yeah he's kind of like. You need someone to root for. Exactly. Like you, need, you need a straight man. You need that. Like Jason Bateman's performance is so good. He's so just like. He cannot believe that this is his. <laughs> that this is his family. And he's very different in season now, rewatching it, he is 
uh, a worse person than I remember in the first three oh, seasons. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he still constantly makes mistakes and does yeah. highly morally questionable things. But but like you're saying, but he's still, you know, he's the one who learns a lesson typically. The yes. uh, he's he's the audience, he's the straight man. In season four, he is just as absurd as all of his other family members. So yeah. now which you've lost been, that. Yeah, which could have been Jason Bateman being like, if I'm gonna come back, can I at least do something different? Yeah. That could have been, you know, an actor doesn't want to keep doing the same thing again yeah. and again and again. Michael's in a normal sitcom. And then everyone else is in a crazy. Yeah, exactly. Kind of what it feels like. It feels like it's that that first that it opens like a normal comedy, and then it just quickly becomes insanity. But Michael and George Michael stay normal TV characters. Well, everyone else just becomes completely insane. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. The Star Wars analogy is a good one too, because the have you seen? Have you? Seen I, I've seen. Star I've Star seen Wars one. Movies? I've seen one or two of the of the star. Uh, here's some money. Go watch a Star War. Here's some money. Go see a Star War. Speaking <laughs> of Lucille, that's another. I also <laughs> say that all the time. Um, the the lie that George Lucas told for many years was that the prequels were always meant to be, and that they were written and developed in a story. That was that was planned to be told eventually when the special effects got caught up. So when those came, it was like the same thing. It's like, oh well, this makes sense. This was always the plan, and then it was like, oh, those stories were not developed yet. Um, so that's exactly what season four and five felt here. Like it's like, oh, okay, they they planned to do more. They had more in mind, and then when it happened, it's like, nope they they wrote these and then they wrote them around the actor's schedule. So it's like. So why are we doing this if you can't even get all these recutting? There's, I think, the internet's filled with people of fans re-editing those the Star Wars prequels, and it's like you can rearrange this any way you want. Like it's not the idea isn't there, and I think that was my biggest thing watching season four. I was like, this just there's nothing going on here. Like the reason they're doing one character at a time is because they don't have any ideas. Like all they can do is like, well, we'll just focus on Joe for a little bit. We'll just focus on yeah. I, there was no one of the greatest things about that show is there's always that scene in so many episodes the beach the spa day episode where it's just like this insane like farcical everything coming together and it's like it all builds on all the different subplots until this kind of chaotic finale and season four just was lacking that yeah it's like a huge sure. part of it. yeah but it is a great show and it is hysterical and the actors deliver really good performances. If they're thinking of making more, I don't see how they do it without Jessica Walter. I don't see it. I mean, you, you, need, every, yeah. you need every one of those characters. It's like they're bringing back Frasier. It's like, well, you don't have the dad. So right. there's no point to bring that back. You can't just make a show about Frasier and Niles. It would be unbearable. You need a character who's like there to comment on the insanity of what's going on. Right. No, I, fortunately, I don't think they're going to make any more of it because not only has Jessica Walter unfortunately passed away, but just to come full circle, Jeffrey Tambor has had plenty of, he's an asshole. He's had plenty of me too accusations and does not. Exactly. So he, there's that. And then Ali Shim, 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 uh, Alia Shawkat. Alia Shawkat. I was Alia Shawkat left the show during the fifth season, as did Portia de Rossi. So it's like mm-hmm. at this point, you know what? We're we're done. And it at least season five had a finality to it. Sure. Yeah. So it, the show's done 
thank God. Yeah. And again, well, like I, everyone, Michael Sarah, I remember Michael Sarah, everyone shit on him because he didn't want to do more arrested development. He always said like, I think we, I think we kind of nailed it the first time. And everyone was like, Oh, you're being a jerk. You little punk. And it turns out he was right. Bill Murray, we shouldn't make more Ghostbusters movies. Like that's not a good idea. And everyone's like, Oh, don't be such a jerk. It's like, maybe these people aren't being jerks. Maybe they're just sort of pointing out that there's only so much you can do. Exactly. With, yeah. with certain things. And maybe it's time to just kind of like, one thing I really respect about Steve Carell is he's like, we should not bring the office back. Yeah. Like, and he's, he is absolutely right. They mm-hmm. should never bring that show back. The final seasons were bad enough. It's like, what, what do you think is going to happen if you bring that show back? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it was, it's that show, five seasons of really good television. And then it kind of limps through. It ended perfectly with Michael. And then it's just, it's just a bunch of nonsense, which I actually have not watched all of. So I can't judge, but it just, every time I see clips or hear about it, it just sounds like, what's the, why did you go on for so long? It becomes embarrassing at a certain point. So that's what we are watching now. And thank you very much for listening to Coffee and Death Sticks. Coffee and Death Sticks. Coffee and Death Sticks. One more time. Coffee and Death Sticks. Coffee and Death Sticks. I want to sell you Death Sticks. I don't want to sell you Death Sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life.